Hi, we here at Grace Life would love to help you discover Jesus' unconditional love and grace for you. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you and further establish you in the truth of God's Word. So let's, um, let, I just want to, by means of introduction, just focus on a couple of things that are really important for us as, uh, uh, as Christians. So you might know some of this stuff. It's good. It's good to be reminded of some stuff. So turn with me to Ezekiel 36. And whilst we're going there, I'll just say, you know, we really as a church family, um, for those of you at the conference, you would have hopefully been encouraged in the, the wonderful uh, realization that you're not alone as uh, Sir Lowry's past, but this family from Piketburg that you could see there, there's family from Rondebosch in Cape Town, from Tigerburg, who we were at Tigerburg. There's family from Stellenbosch. And then we still had some people from Albania. We had them joining online. We had people come, uh, joining in online from Johannesburg. And so, you know, so it's, it's so encouraging to see that the family is bigger than what we see and experience usually. And together, we, we, we're, we're uh, on the same mission. We're on the same mission. We want to reach the unreached. We want to make disciples of believers so that they can live fruitful lives and we can establish and build uh, uh, grace communities or churches so that we can continue to reach the unreached, make disciples so that believers can live fruitful lives in building strong, healthy grace communities or churches which will then reach the unreached and make disciples. And the the cycle should just keep going and just keep going. Amen? Amen. And so, encourage you just to keep doing what you're doing. I think I'm really encouraged with uh, the fact that you're constantly doing outreaches and you're reaching out into Solari's past and uh, uh, keep going. You know, keep going. When you, when you meet someone and you make a connection with them, don't just leave it there. You know, connect with them like uh, uh, Claudia's testimony uh, was now and keep connecting with them. Because that, they might not be interested in discipleship right now. They might not be interested in salvation right now. But the, 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 the relationship will grow, hopefully, to the place where they'll be open to accept it later. Okay, and then they know where to go when times are tough. They know who to call on. Ezekiel 36, verse 25 to 27, <clears throat> says, Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean. From all your filthiness and from your idols I will cleanse you. Uh, a new heart will I also give you. And a new spirit I'll put within you. And I will take away, from, uh, take away the stony heart out of your flesh and will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. Now this is a prophecy of salvation. What we're experiencing now. Okay. The, 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 pic, the word pictures that... Um, Ezekiel is using in this prophecy firstly is he's talking about he's going to take away a stony heart heart can be kind of like our desires can be our uh, our focus it can it's 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 like a proverb says it's the wellspring of life okay everything flows from our hearts so he's saying that hey people who were governed by stone the law are now going to be governed by the spirit Okay, that's what he's introducing here. We're not people of the law. We're people of the Spirit. 
The new covenant is less, how do I explain this? It's more correctly labeled as the covenant of the Spirit than the covenant of grace. God's been grace from beginning to end. The Spirit was waiting to be released. Amen. Waiting to, to, to come and dwell in us. And that's what this is showing us. That God's plan was He wanted to live in us. Like the sister said, so that we would be God's address. Okay? But now why does He save us? Why does He put His Spirit inside of us? Why do, when we become a Christian, now become one with Him? For what aim is it? For what purpose? Okay, those are, are some good questions that we need to ask ourselves. Okay, let's look at John chapter, chapter 10. John chapter 10. John chapter 10, we see Jesus speaking a lot of things. And in verse 10, we, we should know this by now. It says that uh, the thief comes but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And I'm mixing up a number of different translations now until it overflows. Okay? The Passion says, A thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. But I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness until you overflow. The Amplified puts it like this. The thief comes only in order to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. This is God's desire for you with regard to salvation. Yeah. It's eternal life, so it's forever. You know, the moment you say yes to Jesus, now you're forever. Amen. Now, now, now you're with Him forever. Okay, now there's eternity in you. And that's so important to see because a lot of people think I'm going to receive Jesus and everything's going to be okay in the rest of my life. It might not. A lot of people think that if I come to Jesus and I become a Christian, everything's all of a sudden going to be good in my life. It might not. Imagine the day before uh, the president of Russia decided to invade Ukraine. Imagine the day before that, maybe there was somebody in the Ukraine who received Christ for the first time. Maybe. There probably was. Let's, say, let's hope that the church is doing their job there. Amen? <laughs> so, so there's somebody there who's a baby Christian. I'm sure that there's a number of baby Christians there. How devastating must it be to think that now your life is going to be awesome and... Now all of a sudden you've got a war and you have to evacuate. You have to leave or you have to pick up a gun and start fighting. See, we've we got to realize that this eternal life, which is the Spirit of God now living in us, is eternal. In this world we will have trouble, Jesus said, John 16, 33. In this world we will have trouble. Many of us, if not all of us, have experienced some or other trouble. Amen. Amen. We're not exempt from trouble. But Jesus said we can take heart because He's overcome the world. What's that talking about? It's not talking about the fact that He never had a bad day. Can you, have you ever thought of it like that? Jesus, did Jesus ever have a bad day? <laughs> Think about it for a moment. He, he, he was whipped. He was beaten. 
He had a crown of thorns pushed into his head. And yet the Bible says, does, doesn't say that he called that his, a bad day. What does the Bible say about the day that he was tortured and beaten and, and crucified? It says that for the joy set before him, he endured that. So he was looking at the bigger picture. He wasn't just looking at, oh, all these things are going, I'm having such a bad day. All these things are just going wrong in my life right now. Is there sin in my life? No, I'm sure you wouldn't have asked that question. We tend to, right? <laughs> you know, things stop working, appliances break, you, 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 you're having a bad day, a dog bites you and you're like, What's, what did I do to deserve this? Everybody take a deep breath. That's what you did to deserve it. <laughs> you're alive. <laughs> it's not like you deserve it, it's just you're here. And so, being in this world, you have the opportunity for things to go wrong. Bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. Good things happen to bad people. Good things happen to good people. God doesn't determine what's all that going to work and who's getting what and whatever. Because we have free will and we make decisions. But for us as believers, we need to make sure that we're keeping the main thing the main thing. And our focus is God dwells in me. Hallelujah. I said this at the conference from Philippians chapter 4. Um, Paul's encouraging us and he's saying in verse 8, he's saying, um, we're going to come back to John 10 now. But he says, um, you think on these things, whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, whatever is of good report. And he's saying, if you want to experience peace, these are the things that you need to focus on. Okay? Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good report. You know what the problem is? It doesn't mean anything that's pure, anything that's lovely, anything that's of good report. We kind of look at that and think, well, you know, my, 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 my puppy is, is lovely. I love my little dog. My little dog is, is, is uh, something that makes me happy. So in this difficult time, I'm going to focus on my little dog. And then what happens when your little dog dies? <laughs> what happens when the little dog runs away? What happens if someone steals the little dog? Now you've got to find something else to think about that's pure and lovely and of good report. As believers, we're not just optimists, which means we're not just always positive. We're biblical. So we need to have a biblical perspective, God's perspective on things, and God's perspective of things with regards to what should we focus on is salvation. The only thing that will encourage you in any circumstance and every circumstance is, I am one with God. God lives in me. No matter what happens, He's not going anywhere. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. Amen? That's got to be our perspective. I want to read to you from, um, where is it? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 in the Amplified Bible. It really says it great. Hebrews 13, verse 5. It says, Let your character or moral disposition be free from the love of money, including greed, avarice, lust, and craving for earthly possessions. Unfortunately, a lot of the church, that's what they're focused on. A lot of Christians, that's what they're aiming for. And yet this says we should be free from that. You are not free 
from the love of money, greed, avarice, lusts, and craving for earthly possessions, if that's what you're praying for. <laughs> if you're praying for things, then things have your heart. But if you're praying for people, God has your heart. If you're praying for the kingdom to be established and to be expanded, then God has your heart. But if stuff has your heart, then, then you'll be praying for stuff. God, give me more, give me more, give me more. Okay, and it's not wrong to want more, but it's wrong if that's our focus. It goes on, be satisfied with your present circumstances and with what you have. And this is why, for God himself has said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give, up, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. How many of you find that encouraging? That's encouraging. That's very encouraging. I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake you, nor let you down. I will not relax my hold on you, assuredly not. So no matter what challenging circumstances you're going through, this should encourage you that I'm not alone. Now, now look at the, the, the It says, um, I will not in any degree leave you helpless. That should remind you of the Holy Spirit, the helper. Jesus said, I will not leave you helpless or comfortless. I will come to you. He's talking about His Spirit coming to dwell in us. And He's saying that, hey, you're not going to be helpless. I'm sure many of us have felt helpless at some point in our lives. In that moment, you know what we were doing? We were more in touch with the natural than we were the spiritual. In the moment when you feel helpless, you are more in touch with the natural than you are the spiritual. And that's why our lives go the way that they do. Because we're more in touch with the natural than we are with the spiritual reality of Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. 1 John 4 verse 4 says, The greater one lives in you. This has got to be our default uh, uh, reality. That hey, no matter what, God is with me. 1 John 6, uh, not 1 John, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 17 says, He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit with Him. <clears throat> he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit with Him. The moment you said yes to Jesus, you became one with Him. Joined. We kind of think about joined as in husband and wife. Be, you know, man becoming, uh, uh, marrying someone, or a woman marrying someone. And, and that's joined. That's, that's a picture of our relationship with the Lord. But it's not a perfect picture of our relationship with the Lord. Currently, my wife is at the back and I'm over here. This evening... My wife and my children are going to be at home and I'm going to drive to Cape Town to, to, to preach there. And so, we're not going to be in the same location. You know, some people leave their spouses. And so, they joined, and it's a picture of what we have with our relationship with the Lord, but it's not a perfect picture. We, we tend to do this with, with, with the Bible and... We, we, we pick up on some kind of imagery or word pictures that the Bible has. And then we try and apply everything to our lives like that. Like, you know, 
He's, Jesus is our good shepherd, which makes us his sheep. sheep. Okay? And so the Bible talks about that here and there. But now, what we also sometimes do is we'll take um, the, everything that a shepherd does with sheep, and we're like, Jesus is like that with us. Not necessarily. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's probably not wise to do that. I mean, one guy wrote a book on that then and said, you know, if a sheep wanders off, he, the shepherd breaks the legs and puts the, the sheep on the shepherd's shoulders so that the, 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 while it heals, it can uh, uh, grow closer to the shepherd. God's never going to break your legs to keep you close to Him. Amen? God's never going to break your legs. Can you imagine someone wasted their time writing a book about that? A pastor. Anyway. We, we, we've got to see that even though people leave our life, God won't. We're never alone because God is always with us. Especially when we don't feel Him. Sometimes we don't feel the presence of the Lord. But the, the Lord is there. Sometimes we feel helpless, but we're not helpless. Sometimes we feel hopeless, but we're not hopeless. Sometimes we feel far from God, but we're always close to Him. Always. Without exception. When you've just made your biggest mistake. Whatever that was. When you've just uh, uh, sinned. God is closer than you think. You know, David cried out in the Psalms, I think Psalm 51, and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's like, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. This is what I've done, you know, but, but forgive me. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. You can't pray that prayer. You can't sing those songs. Some Christians do. It's ignorance. We, we cannot pray, God, don't take your Spirit from me. God, please don't leave me. God, I'm sorry, don't go. You can talk to, that, to, to, to somebody like that, but not to God, because He's never going to give up on you. He's never going to leave you. Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy and says, even when, he, when we are faith, uh, faithless, another translation says unfaithful, He will remain faithful. That's the faithfulness of God towards us. That even when we are not faithful, He is faithful. And yet, as Christians, we tend to make it about our commitment to God. We tend to make it about our faithfulness towards God. There's songs about it. You know, Jesus, lover of my soul. Jesus, I will never let you go. You, you, you will probably let Him go at some point. How do we let God go? How do we let Jesus go? By not focusing on Him in those moments when we should. By trying to do it ourselves. When He's wanting to do it in us and through us. So, you know, um, how do we, 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 in those challenging circumstances, how do we learn to live from a place of oneness with Christ? Because that's Christianity. We need to remind ourselves, I've got the Spirit, so I'm going to tap into it. Pray in tongues. Acknowledge God's presence. Thank you, Father, that even in this tragedy, even in this difficult circumstance, you are with me. You're in me. Amen. What are we going to do? Help me. Give me wisdom. Give me direction. Show me what I need to know for this situation. We need to lean in, rely in. We're not trying to connect to Him. We're just receiving from Him. So back to John 10.10. 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. <clears throat> 
Interesting side note. The devil is a thief. And he's always trying to steal, kill and destroy. But the Bible here is referring to the law. Yes. Which steals, kills and destroys. It's no wonder why so many churches are in, and Christians are in the shape that they are. Because we're honoring the law above grace, above God, above, above His character, above His nature. I came that they may have and enjoy life. Now when it says life there, in the Greek it's Zoe, God's life, eternal life. So, you know, we, we kind of... It's unfortunate that some uh, uh, um, uh, popular ministers and things like that have, have um, put, um, uh, made their whole ministries about, we need to, I'm going to help you to discover abundant life. And yet, when they're talking about abundant life, they're talking about money. They're not talking about you know, airplanes, they're talking about money, they're talking about a comfortable life, they're talking about the things which can burn. You know, then what? You know? Abundant life is talking about eternal life, God's life now living in you. That's what Christianity is about. That's what it's for. Okay? We, we need to stop thinking carnally when we think of what am I a Christian for? What is this all about? Okay, we're talking about God's life in us. Um, I like how the Passion puts John 10.10. 10. It says that your life in its fullness until you overflow. You are not a Christian for your own sake. You are not a Christian for you. You're a Christian for the world. You're a Christian to impact eternity. Okay? God wants us to overflow. I like the verse that JB used in the beginning about, um, what was it? Well, uh, 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 the wells of salvation or something like that. Drink deeply from the wells of salvation. So, so it's like there's a place for every single one of us. We've all experienced times when we're feeling dry and we're feeling tired and we're feeling like hopeless and we're feeling helpless and whatever. And remember, in moments like that, what are we? We're being more natural than we are spiritual. So in moments where we're feeling down and out, or when we can see our brothers and sisters in Christ feeling down and out, what do we do? We get them to focus in on the Spirit. We, get, we ourselves need to drink deep from the well of salvation. And then we need to help each other to drink from the well of salvation. You can't do this life alone. So we do it together. Turn to John chapter 7. And we'll look at uh, verse uh, 37 there. But now we, we're drinking from the well of salvation for ourselves. It's wonderful because this is a never ending well. It's never going to run out. It's never going to run dry. The well of salvation within you is something that God has put in you now, Himself, to always, always refresh you. We should be the, the most refreshed people on the face of the earth, even in difficult times. We should be the happiest people. You know, an unhappy Christian is someone who doesn't really know the gospel. Because, you know, it says what? Happy is he whose sins are forgiven. If you know your sins are forgiven, if you know that what you've got as a Christian, how can you be depressed and worn out and, and just dry? It's because you're more 
natural than you are spiritual. You're focused more on the natural than you are on the spiritual. And we need to learn to live in the Spirit and from the Spirit. We need to drink deep from the well of salvation so that people will see, hey, I want what you've got. What is it? Something's different about you. What are you smoking? No, I don't smoke anything. I've got the uh, Holy Spirit. That's how it should be. Hey? They go like, what are you drinking? I'm drinking from the well of salvation. <laughs> can you take me there? I can. And then please don't say, come to church with me on Sunday. Please minister to them on the spot and then bring them to church on Sunday. And if you don't know how to minister to them, then take them to someone in the church who does know. But don't delay. John chapter 7 verse 37. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. He that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spake, spake he of the, the Spirit, which they that believe should receive, uh, for the Holy Ghost had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So this is showing us that uh, it's talking about salvation. Okay, Jesus is, is prophesying, if you will, about what's going to happen at Pentecost. And he's showing them that now it's not just a well of salvation that they're going to drink from, but it's going to be rivers of living water flowing from within. And this is what John 10.10 10 says. God wants us to experience life until we overflow. God wants each and every single one of us to overflow. <clears throat> I remember when... Uh, uh, I was learning about discipleship 2006 and 2007 and uh, I was in a church and I was learning about uh, 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 discipleship and the importance of helping people get grounded and being grounded yourself and all of this. And uh, my greatest desire in 2006 and 7 was to disciple someone. All I want, I was desiring to just walk with someone and help them get established in the truth and all of this. And I had no one to disciple. No one. None. Zilch. Nada. And I was moaning to a friend of mine. Um, <laughs> and I was moaning to him saying, you know, it's really frustrating that I don't have anyone that I can disciple. Like, I'm, it's not like I wasn't trying. It's just like there's no one. Everyone's accounted for or they're fine or there's just no one who I can. And he said, well, maybe it's because God knows you're not ready to disciple someone. So he's just holding back. And I was like, I was offended at first. And then I thought about it and I was like, I think he's right. <laughs> and uh, 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 so then I, was, I just stopped focusing on trying to be a blessing. And I focused on my relationship with the Lord. And all I did was I drank from the well of salvation. And then it starts to overflow. You can't drink from the well of salvation without overflowing. And then fruitfulness started to come in my life. Fruitfulness started to overflow in my life. And then you know what happened? People came up to me that I never met before. And they would, at, at church, and they would be like, can uh, uh, we spend some time together uh, and would you disciple me? Can you teach me more about Jesus? All of a sudden, people saw fruitfulness in my life and they wanted to come and eat the fruit. All of a sudden, people saw 
rivers of living water and they wanted to drink from the fountain of my life. See, we should be overflowing so much that people go, I, I wanna they just want to hang out with us. They want to be around us. They want to spend time with us. They want to drink from our fountain. But unfortunately, because we are so focused in on the natural realm, often our fountain is just <laughs> natural. What's flowing out of us isn't supernatural. It's not life-giving. It's toxic, even. It's poisonous sometimes. Because we're focused on the wrong thing. It doesn't mean you're not a Christian. It just means you're not a, a Christian focused in on what you've got. It's, you're not focused on the reality of your salvation. In, in John chapter 7 here, it's a, a quotation really from Isaiah 55 verse 1 which says, Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink, even if you have no money. Come, take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. This is Christianity. Yeah? I really believe that there's no such thing as spirit-filled Christianity. Christianity is spirit-filled. There's some Christians who just don't flow in, overflow in the Spirit. But they have the Spirit, they're just not overflowing in the Spirit. And the evidence is in their life. <laughs> the lack of fruit is there to prove it. But as believers, the more we, we, we come to know what we've got, and we start to focus on it, the more we can start to overflow in it. And the more we'll start to live like Jesus. So, let's go to Galatians chapter 5. And I want to focus on two, uh, one thing made here majorly with uh, regards to fruitfulness. Because we've got to realize we're not Christians for ourselves. And as Christians, we're going, we, 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 we need to step into overflow. Now, what's the awesome thing about overflow? If you look at a basin, okay, let's, let's say a bucket. If I've got a bucket under a tap, and, and I turn the tap on, and the water's running into that bucket. And let's say now that's like salvation. The tap's turned on, it's never going off, and you're just constantly receiving. Then what's going to happen? It's going to have an overflow. What did the bucket do to overflow? Nothing. Nothing. Why? Because it was the overflow because of the inflow. And so we, we have the Holy Spirit in His fullness living inside of us. The more we come to, to, to focus on Him, and the more we come to acknowledge His presence, the more we will experience it. The more we will see an overflow in our lives. Okay? And that overflow, what is it? Well, one of the things it will be is encouragement. You'll be an encourager. I want you all just to think of someone in your life Who's an encourager? Someone who's, who, you, you, yeah, they like, they just seem to be encouraging people all the time. Okay? They all, if you think about someone who's, in, who's, who's um, an encourager, one of the things that I pick up with people like that is they always have people around them. People are seemingly drawn to them, people want to hang out with them. So if you want to grow your influence as a Christian, start encouraging people. Hey, nice dress you're wearing today. It looks beautiful on you. You know, simple encouragement like that. Or just, uh, you know, I just felt to, to, to remind you that, that God really loves you. you. 
and He's got a purpose for your life and, and don't give up. You just start to encourage people. Then people start to <laughs> like you because you, it's, it's really positive to, to, to be around you. And you make me feel good when I'm around you. So I want to be around you. And then what happens? Influence opens. And now because Emily's always an encourager to, towards me, I'll go to her and I'll say, Emily, I've got this situation in my life. Please would you pray for me? And now because of the work she's done to encourage me, the overflow of encouragement, now I want, I'm seeking her out for input. Some of us are wondering why no one wants to be around us. <laughs> I've just given you the answer. It's because whenever you've got people around you, you're talking about stuff that no one wants to talk about. And you're, you're, you're focused on things that as Christians we shouldn't focus on. And you look like you're baptized in lemon juice sometimes. Sour. And so once we come out of that place and we get into the flow of the living water, there's no lemon juice in living water, then people are refreshed and they want to be around us and influence grows. But how do we get there? I mean, uh, uh, we'll get there now, but um, Romans. Galatians chapter 5, verse uh, 22, shows us some of the fruit that will overflow. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Okay, what this is saying is this is the fruit, the natural byproduct of having the Spirit of God live in you. And the more you realize what you've got, the easier it is to experience it. But I'm trying to show you, this is describing a Christian. It's not describing what a Christian should try and be like. It's describing what we have and how we should live. How we should express ourselves. A lot of Christians, I've heard them, they've said to me, you know, this is just my personality. This is the way I am. I was like, well, God didn't make you like that. <laughs> Change. How do you change? Focusing on who you really are. Galatians 2.20 It's no longer I that lives. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So stop focusing on your personality, which needs some work, and start focusing on Christ in you. There's some things about your personality which are awesome. Focus on Christ in you, and those things will be amplified. The weaknesses will get worked on. By accident, you won't even need to try really. Because your focus is right. So the fruit, the natural byproduct of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is all these things. I like how um, the Passion brings out an idea in it, which is really great. It says how uh, the fruit produced or the harvest of the Spirit within you is divine love in all its expressions. And then it goes on to say that Joy, peace, patience, kindness, and the rest of them are all expressions of love. And that's what we've got to realize. Is we're not like, it's not a, a tree with different fruits. How, how many of you have seen an apple tree with apples and pears and some grapes? Have you ever seen a, a tree with different fruit on it? Is that possible? No. It is if I go and put it on. <laughs> Christmas tree. You know, we're not talking about that. The, the fruit of the Spirit is Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit is Jesus. And so, 
The fruit of now Jesus living in you is you start to live like Jesus. What does that look like? We automatically want to go to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, kapow! <laughs> we want to go there, and that's awesome. But it's also love. And joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, it's not just power, but it's the fruit of character. The world sometimes, you know, uh, uh, you can watch documentaries on this. If you go look on YouTube or online and stuff, the, the, the world <laughs> might acknowledge that a minister has a gift of healing or something like that. But what do they focus on? All the moral failures. To try and discredit them. We, we mustn't focus on the power to the exclusion of the character. And we mustn't focus on the character to the exclusion of the power. Both are the same fruit. Okay? But how do we get you? How do we live you? Go up to verse 16. This I say then. <clears throat> Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. This is really important. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Too many Christians are trying to be more like Jesus by saying no to sin. And that's not the way. We should say no to sin. But the way to walk in the Spirit, I'm sorry, the way to deal with the flesh is to walk in the Spirit, not deal with the flesh. We don't deal with the natural by focusing on the natural and saying, no, no, no. We look at the Spirit and we choose to acknowledge what's in the Spirit and then that gets dealt with. It's a byproduct. Because we're not trying to get free from sin. You're trying to get free from thinking about sin. Sin has no hold on you, but you're thinking about it all the time. So that's why it has a hold on you. You're not thinking like Jesus. You're thinking like... You did before you received Christ. And so now what you need to do is start focusing on who you are in Christ and start focusing on who Christ is in you and not, don't think about the earthly things and what will happen? Fruitfulness will start to come from within you. So we need to walk in the Spirit. And then as a natural byproduct of that, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know, often what we want to do is come into a room, a dark room, Chase out all the darkness so we can switch the lights on. That's how people live Christian lives. I want to get rid of all the darkness, switch on the light, and then I'll, I'll be happy. But what happens when you switch the lights on? The darkness leaves. And so what this is saying is just switch the light on. That's how simple Christianity is. Focus in on the truth of who you are in Christ, of your oneness with Him, of your union with Him. And what will happen? You'll start to live like Him. You won't have to strive to live like Him. I like how the Passion puts the, uh, 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 verse 16 there. It says, As you yield freely and fully to the dynamic life and power of the Spirit, you will abandon the cravings of your self-life. So the answer, like, now the, 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 in the, uh, the natural realm, it's really just a selfish realm. Because you're living for yourself, you're living to, to please yourself and, and uh, 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 all of that. And, and the answer for the self-life is to focus on Christ in you. And to yield, surrender. Surrender to who's living inside of you. To be able to say, not my will, but your will be done, Father. 
And then what happens is we start to abandon the things that we, we want to abandon, but easily, effortlessly. Because now we're focused in on the truth, which is Christ lives in me. But how do we, you know, let's look at another way that we do this. It's in John chapter 15. <clears throat> See, we, we often think that now if I'm wanting to live like Jesus, if I'm wanting to, to, to enjoy this Christian life and be more loving, be more patient, be more kind to people, etc., then I have to try hard. You don't. If you're born again, you have the Spirit of God living in you, and He's doing it in you. He's producing the fruit in you and through you. All you're doing is yielding. What does it mean to yield or surrender? If you, if you, you know, it's just saying, yes, Lord. It's like um, if someone wants to put a gun on your back. You put your hands up, I surrender. Then you're like, okay, I'll do anything. You're just, you're just stopping and you're like, okay, yes. What? That, that, that's surrender. God doesn't have a gun to your back. But He's inviting you to surrender, to be a living sacrifice. And part of that is expressed in John chapter 15. I am the true vine. And my father is the husbandman or the gardener. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges, in, purges it, that it may bring forth fruit. So God's desire for you is fruitfulness. Amen. That's what he wants for you. Not just of you, but for you. Then he says in verse 4, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye produce fruit, except you abide in me. So what this is showing us is that fruitfulness comes from our position. Fruitfulness comes from our position. And our position is, we are in Christ. Now, if you think about a vine, it's, again, it's not a perfect picture of our relationship with the Lord. But it is a nice picture. Again, it works. The vine is attached to the, the branch is attached to the vine. The life of the vine is in the branch. It flows. The, the nutrients and everything that come from the, the, the soil and from the ground go into the branch because of the vine. And because the branch is attached to the vine, right? So what does the branch do? It rests in the vine. It just rests in the position that it has. All you need, to, you're not striving to be one with Christ, you are one with Christ. Amen. You need to awaken to the reality that you're one with Him. And all you need to do to produce this fruitfulness in your life is focus in on the fact that you're one with Him and His life is flowing in your life. Thank you, Father, right now that your life is in me. Amen. And it's flowing through me. And it's overflowing even as I meditate on these truths. And thank you, Father, that every single person that I come into contact with is going to be refreshed. Amen. Is going to be uh, ministered to. Is going to be blessed. You know, it's focusing in on your reality so that you can overflow and live like that. So, one good question that comes up in there is... Um, there's a couple of good things in here, but uh, let me read verse 4 uh, uh, from the, the, the Passion. It says, So you must remain in life union with me, for I remain in life union with you. 
says, we are in life union. He is in life union with us. That never changes. But now the invitation is to remain in life union with Him through our focus. Through our focus. Through yielding to that power that's within us. Okay? And then He says, For as a branch severed from the vine will not bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless, unless you live your life intimately joined to mine. It all comes back down to relationship with Him. Friendship with Him. Living from a place of oneness with Him. That's awesome. Yeah, verse 3. Oh, well, let's go to verse 2 first. It says, Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. So now you have books written on this. And uh, the, books, the books will be, be talking about how, as a fruitless Christian, the axe is coming for you. You're going to get chopped out and cast into the fire. You know, as a Christian, firstly, you can't not produce fruit. You can suppress it. And you can suppress it. And you can deaden it and whatever. But you actively decided that and did that. But there are times in our lives where we just don't see fruitfulness, right? We don't see... You know, one of the fruitfulness that we talk about, if, if the analogy is sheep, if the picture is sheep, what is the fruitfulness of a sheep? A lamb. And so one of the fruitfulness that God desires to see in our lives is that we lead other people to the Lord. Amen. And we're helping to grow the family. But sometimes we don't see that fruitfulness. Sometimes we don't see fruitfulness in our lives. Then what? Because there's a lot of people in fear about God coming with His axe. And He's going to chop you out. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Because that, that, the, the, the words there, taketh away, are not translated correctly. If you look it up in the Greek, it can be better translated as lifted up. <laughs> lifted up. The Passion actually translates it like that. And says that you know, uh, uh, every, um, or he cares for the branches connected to me by lifting and propping up the fruitless branches. And pruning every branch to yield a greater harvest. So there is a pruning where if we yield to him, he would prune us to be more fruitful. What does he prune? Beliefs. What does he prune? But he's not taking people out of life. Pruning has nothing to do with people. Pruning has nothing to do with your job. He's not going to take your job away from you. I want to teach you a lesson. He wants to, he's getting at, your, the, 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 muck, the mess in your life is because of the beliefs that you have. Or the power that you're not walking in. The authority that you're not exercising. God's wanting to prune you of wrong beliefs. Cut them off. Deal with them. Get them out of your heart. Why? Because they produce bad fruit. Okay, so, you know, he, he takes up every fruitless branch. He doesn't remove fruitless branches. He draws them closer to him. And um, 2010 and 11, I remember teaching this in Stellenbosch. And we have, over the years, had a number of winemakers uh, 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 in the church. And I asked two different winemakers in the church, what do you do with fruitless branches? And they all both said the same thing. You lift it up and you tie it. Closer to the vine. So, you know, when you're feeling fruitless, you know what Father's doing? He's drawing you closer to Himself. When we're fruitless and we know it, what should we be doing? Drawing closer to the Father. And receiving His life, the love, the nutrients from Him. Because what's going to do? It's going to cause a fruitfulness in our lives. Amen? Amen. Amen. Verse 3. Now you are clean. 
through the word which I have spoken unto you. The Passion says, the words I have already, I have spoken over you have already cleansed you. That's, that's quite a powerful statement. Since you have so many Christians trying to get clean. A lot of us are trying to be clean when we are clean. How are we clean? Because of the words that He's spoken to us. The gospel that's been spoken to us. When we received that, we were made clean. Now many Christians are on a rat race trying to get clean. Trying to get closer to God. Trying to get more accepted to God. And the enemy loves that because they're wasting their time. And that's why they're not effective or fruitful. You're not trying to be clean and deal with the mess in your life. Stop it. Stop trying to deal with the mess in your life. And start focusing on Christ in you, your hope of glory. Start focusing in on the fact that He's made you clean. That now you are righteous. Now you are holy. Now you are blameless. Now you are accepted in the beloved. And when you focus on those things which God says is true about you, even if you don't say it's true about you, it's going to cause you to feel clean. But whether you feel clean or not, you're clean. Whether you see clean or not, you're clean. You're just not living like it. And so how do we deal with the mess in our lives? We walk in the Spirit. How do we walk in the Spirit? Last scripture, Colossians chapter 3. Verse 1, if you be risen with Christ, if is also not the correct word for us today because... You know, it, it's better understood by us if we put since then. And some translations do put since then. Uh, Passion says Christ's resurrection is your resurrection too. And so since you are risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on earth. For, your, your, uh, for your, you are dead and your life is hidden with Christ and God. So set your affection, set your focus, Set your heart on things above. What? It's not saying look to the clouds. It's not saying look up there. What's above is actually what's within. Focus on the heavenly realities. It's not geographically above. It's geographically within. If you're a Christian, this is saying focus in on what's inside of you. Not, it's not looking to the clouds. It's looking to within. What's inside of you? The power of Jesus. The fruit of Jesus. The love of Jesus. You can go into any situation. Overflow if you focus enough. And cause a whole situation to change. A whole negative situation to change. Cause people to, who are depressed to come to joy. Because we're, we're carrying the happiest person on earth. So we should be the second happiest persons on earth. Amen. We should all be fighting for that uh, 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 title. Amen? Amen. <laughs> in a healthy fight way. So just focus in on who you are. Focus in on your position in Christ. And as you focus in on Him, you'll start to overflow. Amen? Amen. Father, I want to thank You for the overflow that we can experience as believers. Overflow of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, an overflow of healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, cleansing the lepers. Free, uh, thank you, Father, that we have this freedom to live in the Spirit like this, 
Not by focusing in on dealing with our shortcomings, but on focusing in on the fact that we're dead. And our life is hidden with Christ in God. We've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer us who lives, but now Christ lives in us. Thank you, Father, that we can live like you because we can live from our union with you. You're empowering us for this, Father. And I just thank you right now for every single person in this room that they would just have a deeper understanding of this, that the things that we've spoken on this morning, they would be reminded of them by your Spirit throughout the week and as they meditate on them, as they talk about them. I thank you, Father, that the truths are going to take root in their hearts and produce a fruitfulness in the name of Jesus. Some of you are going through difficult things right now. Some of you are in challenging circumstances and you're looking for answers But I just feel God saying to you, stop looking for answers and start looking to Christ in you. Because the first thing that He wants to do in your situation is change your perspective. The first thing He's wanting to do in your situation is change the way you see yourself, change the way you see things. And then you'll get the answer. Father, I thank You that we're never without hope. We're never, never without help. We're never without comfort because we're never without you. You have said that you will not, will not, will not in any way abandon us or forsake us or leave us. And we thank you for that, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We just choose right now to, to rest. In our position, which is connected to you. Rest in our place, which is fixed. We are one with you, never to be separated. We have uninterrupted union with you. We have a oneness with you, which never stops. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to connect with us, or if you'd like us to pray with you, please contact us at info at If you'd like to order more resources or discover more about us, you can visit our website at www.gracelife.co or find us on Twitter, Facebook and YouTube.